Hello, fellow worshipers. Welcome back to the Linwood Worship Podcast. This is a podcast where I, AJ, share with you some thoughts about the whys behind what we're doing when we're leading our people in worship on Sunday. As always, I want to mention to you all that the goal here is not just more information. The goal here is to try to orient you more towards Jesus. So last week, we began a conversation around the question, what makes a good worship song? If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, it would definitely be worth going back uh, before you continue with this one. We looked at a few categories to consider when looking at the lyrics of a song specifically. This week, we're going to continue that conversation and look into a few categories worth considering regarding the musicality of a song. Just because a song has good lyrics does not mean it is a good worship song. It's a combination of both lyrics and musicality that make a song good for corporate worship. So how should we consider the musicality of a song? Let's think about the melody of a song first. What makes a good melody? Or maybe it's more helpful to ask, what makes a melody singable? One thing to look at is the vocal range. If a song has a range of two octaves, chances are that no one will be able to sing it very comfortably. It's a trend in worship music recently to have whole octave jumps in songs. These songs, while they can be very compelling to sing, are pretty difficult for average singers. I usually try to pick songs with a melody that can comfortably fit within a low A up to a high D. That's about an octave and a half range. That being said, just because the melody fits in that range does not mean it's easy to sing. Another thing to consider is the tessitura of the song. Tessitura is a fancy music word for where the melody predominantly hangs out. If the majority of this melody is up on high C's and D's, it's going to be pretty fatiguing to sing. Melodies that hang out mostly around low A's and B's are similarly fatiguing to sing. Songs that have a relatively narrow tessitura that hang out mostly between D's going up to C's tend to be quite singable for the average congregant. This whole idea of range and tessitura are the reason that we rarely ever play a song in the key that it was played on the studio record. These popular modern modern worship artists have ridiculously wide ranges, often spanning multiple octaves, and when they record a song, they often record it in a key that sounds good with their unique voice. Our goal for congregational worship is different than the goal of the recording artist. We're trying to make it accessible for average folks to sing. They're trying to make it sound good for consumers to listen to. It's also important to look at the rhythm of the melody. And when considering the rhythm, we have to consider our church context. Speaking pretty broadly here, some churches, maybe that tend to have younger people who listen to a lot of pop music, are probably pretty okay with a lot of syncopation in the melody. Other churches that have a lot lot of older members that are used to singing hymns tend to do better with songs that have more straight rhythms. Our church has some of both, so in my experience it seems like we do all right with syncopation, 
but we learn songs that have a straight rhythm much faster. Now, after trying to define singability, it is worth noting that there are exceptions to these rules. If you go to a U2 concert or a Coldplay concert, you'll find that singability really comes down to familiarity and to how emotionally moving a song is. Chris Martin and Bono have ridiculous ranges, and they don't play songs in keys that make them singable for average people. They don't remove syncopation from the melodies to make them more accessible. But look up the song Fix You live in Buenos Aires by Coldplay, you'll see what I mean. A huge part of what makes that whole concert special is how loudly people sing along to the music. And the songs that they're playing are not even in the common language of the people of Argentina. This is why when I hear a good, compelling song on the radio that our people will likely have heard before, I do typically try to use it. Now, it's few and far between, because frankly I don't think there are many good songs on Christian radio, but when there are, we use them. There is something about a compelling melody that's familiar that breaks the rules of singability. Which leads to the next question we're thinking about when defining what makes a good worship song. Is the melody compelling? Now, this is a bit of an abstract concept. It is felt more than it can be explained. Writing melodies is an art, and just like any art, it's hard to quantify why something is beautiful or moving. Being able to write good, a good compelling melody is really a gift. That being said, it's also easy to tell when you're singing a song that is not compelling. The melody is bland, predictable, and doesn't really add any emotional weight to the lyrics. I find the song Good God Almighty by David Crowder to be a prime example of this. I think the lyrics are probably fine, but man, the melody is so bland and boring. It's almost obnoxious. And why does David Crowder sound like he's straining so much to sing that chorus? Music has a way of moving our emotions, and a good melody set with good lyrics is really effective. But good lyrics set to a boring melody is just boring. Another thing worth noting regarding how melody and lyric relate to one another is how appropriately the melody echoes the emotional place where the lyrics come from. For example, it doesn't make sense to sing the song, God be merciful to me, to a happy, peppy tune. It also doesn't make any sense to sing joy to the world in a minor key. Melodies must reinforce the emotional spirit of the lyric, otherwise it's just confusing and disorienting. So probably my favorite melody of all time is an old Irish tune called Oh Whaley Whaley. I just find it really beautiful, and when it's set with the lyrics of When I Survey, it's really moving. Another that's really excellent is the song All Is Well by Michael W. Smith. I find the melody to be truly beautiful. The Getty song, The Power of the Cross, is also really great. The lyrics set with the ascending and descending tune and the inverted chords are just really compelling and beautiful. And then another one worth mentioning is Build My Life. It's just really simple, but for some reason the melody is really, really compelling. But like I said, all of this is really difficult to define. It's much easier to feel it than it is to explain it. 
And finally, when considering a song's musicality, it's important to look at its instrumental adaptability. Sometimes a song on the radio may sound really compelling because they've got a ton of instruments playing, which allows for a super wide dynamic range. Average churches like ours don't have three electric guitar players and three synth players and two percussionists. What seems compelling on the radio, when stripped back from all of the musical accompaniment, might actually not be that great. If a song is good, it will be good no matter what the accompaniment. A good melody is a good melody if it's led by organ or guitar. Those are the songs that are especially valuable to use in worship. So in preparation for our discussion this week, please spend some time thinking about what your favorite worship song is and why. Also consider if there was anything new in this episode to you or if there was anything that you disagreed with.